Let's lift our hands and give God praise. Lord, we worship you right now. I want to cross over right now into the things of God. I want to cross over right now into spiritual warfare, into spiritual battles. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, your purpose is to get in the spirit. Your purpose for life isn't to have a career. Your purpose for life isn't any of those things, but it's to get in the spirit and to worship God who gave the life within your body. I wonder right now if we could fulfill the purpose of our life with hands lifted up in worship, with hands lifted up in praise. Here's my worship. All of my worship right now. Let's press just a little bit more. Hallelujah. I don't want to preach just to talk and say some good words. But I want the Holy Ghost to somehow minister to the needs of the broken. I want the Holy Ghost to somehow heal the disease of the sick. I don't want to just be mediocre. But I want the power of God to move. Do you feel what I feel? Is there a hunger? Is there a desire in this place? I feel like God is going to do something very specific tonight. I feel like God is going to answer prayers. And I feel like God is going to restore things that have been lost. And he's going to heal things that have been wounded. Amen. I'm thankful that we serve a God who's with us. Amen. In all things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Amen. I want to say how thankful I am for this church and for my pastor. I'm not just saying that because I'm preaching and it's formal etiquette, but I'm saying that tonight because God gives us a pastor after his own heart. Amen. You don't need an internet pastor. You don't need a mentor. You need a pastor. Amen. You don't need uh, somebody on the other side of the country to tell you how to live. You don't need somebody to try to do something uh, for their own benefit, but you need a pastor, a man after God's own heart. Amen. I really believe that. Not just for preachers, but for saints, for everybody. You need some authority. You need some spiritual covering in your life. You need to be accountable to the man of God. Learning that more and more all the time. I don't want to take too much time tonight. I believe the Bible said that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. Quick and powerful and hopefully sharper than any two-edged sword. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn quickly to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 15. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 34. 1 Samuel, chapter number 15, and verse 34. The Bible says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Going into chapter number 16 and verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Tonight I want to preach when mercy and failure collide. 
when mercy and failure collide. If you would, put your Bibles down, lift up your hands toward heaven, and let's call down the power and the anointing of the Most High. Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit, oh God. I don't want to operate in the flesh. I don't want to try to preach a good message. I don't want to try to deliver a cute thought. But what saith the word of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to raise a level of expectation in this house. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I have a vision that God is going to do great things. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Industrial Revolution was an unprecedented age of growth in the United States. It was the birthplace of modern industry. Steel and steam-powered contraptions were leading the way to newfound prosperity. And during this era, one man from Ohio would pull himself out of a modest lifestyle, climbing out of obscurity and overtaking over 90% of all oil operations in the nation, thus becoming the wealthiest individual of the modern age. By the time he had passed, he had a net worth of $340 billion. How does that compare today? Today the top three is Jeff Bezos, it's Bill Gates, and it's Warren Buffett. For those wondering, $340 billion is more than the wealth of Bezos, Gates, and Buffett all combined. In the Industrial Revolution, this was a time that people were going from rags to silk, from pennies to dollars. The industry was booming and there was no regulation. This man that I'm talking about was John D. Rockefeller. Yet before he was known for wealth and widespread influence, he was nothing more than just a common up-and-coming hopeful businessman. And on the morning of December 18, 1867, a 28-year-old Rockefeller woke up and was running unusually late. On this day, he planned to travel from Cleveland to New York for a business trip. As late as he was, he sent his luggage ahead of him to Cleveland Union Station to be loaded before he got there, and he said goodbye to his wife and his one-year-old daughter. Then he left his home to catch the morning train. But to his frustration, Rockefeller pulled up to the depot just a few minutes late, and his bags were loaded and heading down the tracks because he had missed the train. But as frustrating as this was at that moment, missing the train from Cleveland to New York by missing the Lakeshore Express, young Rockefeller escaped one of the deadliest railroad accidents in American history. Just nine hours later, while the train was passing over a high bridge into Angola, New York, the train jumped the tracks, tumbling 50 feet into the gorge below. Furnaces came loose, kerosene-filled lanterns then spilled over the spreading fire. Cars were bursting into flames, trapping passengers inside and burning them till they became unidentifiable ashes. They say that the screams of the dying lasted for close to five minutes before silence fell over the area that day. And Rockefeller, a latecomer to the train that morning, would have been seated in one of those cars. 
the reason I'm telling you this story today is because this moment would change this young man's life forever. Because from that day forward, Rockefeller saw himself as a man of destiny. He believed that God had a greater purpose for his life because if he didn't, he could have easily let him die in those flames. Tonight, I begin my message by preaching to GBFPC that if God didn't have a purpose for your life, he could have let you die in those flames. He could have left you where you were. He could have left you in the sin that had you bound. He could have left you in the brokenness, but he called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. He could have left you in the flames, but he saved you for a purpose. Come on, you better worship him. This isn't a long message tonight. When mercy and failure collide, God still has a purpose for your life. God's hand's still on your life. He said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He said he'll not leave you comfortless, but he will come to you. Tonight, whatever's hit you, whatever's made you feel discouraged, God is here to say, I love you, and I'm here for you. And whatever they said, I want you to know that you mean everything to me. Come on, somebody, let's worship the Lord. This is a spiritual moment. You may be seated. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 said it this way. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, he said, our righteousness is as a filthy rack. I didn't do anything to deserve the mercy of God. I wasn't worthy enough. But there was a God who stepped down from the portals of glory and manifested himself in a body to be my sacrifice, to take my place, to be nailed to a tree with rusty nails and raw timber. He bought my salvation and he's, he bought me out of darkness and he paid the price with his blood. It said, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I want to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. When mercy and failure collide, you need to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. I don't want to just come to church for the fellowship. I don't want to just come to church for the community. I don't want to just come to church to serve. But I want to come to be renewed. I want to come to be restored. I want to come to be lifted out of darkness, lifted up out of the miry clay. I've got to get my soul right. I've got to get my spirit right. I'm not just here to be here, but I need God. Is there a desire within you to get a hold of God? He saved him out of the fire. He saved you and I out of the fire. Jude said with fear, save some pulling them out of the fire. That's what God did. He pulled us out of the fire. You don't know where you would be if it had not been for the Lord. Speaking about being in the fire. It brings to memory an account found in Mark chapter number 9. In Mark chapter number 9 and verse 17, 
the Bible says. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Going down to verse 21, and he asked his father how long ago since it came unto him. And he said of a child, and oft times it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Just a side note, something very interesting to me is that we don't find demon possession written about in the Old Testament. We find no accounts. The closest would be that Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, but besides that, there's nothing. We don't read about them until the New Testament, and many scholars believe that this is because demons did not manifest themselves in human bodies until they witnessed the manifestation of God in the man Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Many scholars believe this is because demons did not manifest themselves in human bodies until they witnessed the manifestation of God in Christ Jesus. There will always be an imitation to the things of God, but there will never be a replacement. There will always be an imitation to the things of God, but there will never be a replacement. Personality cannot replace the anointing. Talent cannot replace the power of prayer. Ability cannot replace fasting. There's nothing greater than the name of Jesus and a dedicated life to the power of the Holy Ghost. There's imitation, but there's no replacement. There's a high in the world, but it's higher in the church. There's joy in the world, but it only endures for a season. I'm telling you, there's nothing comparable to what we feel tonight in the house of God. You've got the best thing going. You're living the best life on earth. There will always be an imitation to the things of God, but there will never be a replacement. Back to the story of this young man. In the Jewish understanding of demonic possession... This man's son, unfortunately, had no hope because the rabbis of Jesus' day believed that a demon could not be cast out until it told you its name. Unable to speak, there was no way for it to happen for this young man. And no matter how bad he hurt himself, no matter how bad his father wanted it done, there was just no one that could do it. There was no one that could see a way out of it. But let me tell someone, just when when they said it couldn't happen, Jesus broke the acceptable rules of society, and he showed his power to deliver despite what's been labeled impossible. You know how many people will tell you there's no way you can change. There's no way out of this. Let's medicate that. Let's prescribe that. Let's try to have a surgery on that. Let's try to deal with that. But I'm telling you, we don't need to deal and we don't need to manage and we don't need to sugarcoat what God wants to deliver us from. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let me tell you, if you have a problem, bring it to Jesus. No matter who said it was impossible, bring it to Jesus. He'll make a way when there is no way. Come on, somebody. Is there a testimony in this house that God saved me when they said it couldn't happen? Brother Warwick was in prison, but God saved him from his sin. Brother Fructose was in prison. Come on, I'm telling you, we have a way out when everybody says it's impossible. 
Worship the Lord for just a moment. Worship the Lord for just a moment. This would be a good time to thank him for everything he's done. I wonder if we forgot what it meant to be lost. I wonder if we forgot where he brought us from. I'm so thankful that when they said he couldn't do it, he did. I don't know why, but I'm grateful. I don't know why, but I'm grateful. I don't know why, but I'm grateful. You may be seated. When mercy and failure collide. He told the man, if you can believe all things are possible, what you're asking God to do is dependent on whether or not you really believe he can do it. We have to mix faith into the process because when you can see the ability of God, there's nothing that can stop you. I said there's nothing that can stop you. If you can see him, there's no barriers that can stop you. How do we know that nothing can stop us? If we go to the book of Mark, chapter number 5 and verse 1, it says, and they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. This man was filled with demons to the point that he was exiled from his city. He was living in the tombs among the dead and in the mountains away from society. Not only was he away from society, but they tried to chain him to keep him there. Many times they tried to tie him down with chains. We later find out that this man was filled with a legion of devils. This could have meant anywhere, depending on where you read, from 3,000 to 6,000 demons possessed this man. People tried to chain him up. Demons possessed him. Just when it seemed like he had lost all control, it says that when he saw Jesus, he went to him and he worshipped. It doesn't matter if it's 4,000, 5,000, or 6,000 demons. When you make up in your mind that you're going to worship your creator, there's no devil in hell that can stop you. There's no distraction that can stop you. Come on. Jesus went to Gadara to prove that there's nothing that can stop somebody that wants to live for God. There's no peer pressure. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no bitterness. There's no hurt because when mercy and failure collide, there's nothing that can stop you. When you can see the ability of God, there's nothing that can stop you from worshiping him. Verse 12 in this chapter says that the demons pleaded with Jesus to be sent into a herd of pigs rather than to be sent into outer darkness. The demons were pleading with Jesus. And what did Jesus do? It says that Jesus answered the devil's request. He gave them leave. 
Can you imagine this for just a moment that the devil came before God, the demon from hell came before the master and had a petition and made it known and Jesus answered his prayer request, if I can say it that way. If Jesus answered the devil's prayer request, then I just wonder. <laughs> I just wonder what he would do for the one child of God that would look up from their broken situation and call on his name, call on his name, call on his name. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. You may not have all the strength, but call on his name. Zechariah 14, 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. One name, and it's Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, 21 says, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all, I said do all, we pray for the sick in Jesus' name. We pray for our food, even if it's unhealthy, in Jesus' name. We pray for deliverance in Jesus' name, and that's why we're baptized in Jesus' name. That's why, because it's the name above every other name. There's power in the name of Jesus. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. A name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's just do a little exercise real quick. If Jesus' name is the greatest name in the universe, it's got power over things in heaven, power over things in earth, power over things under the earth, then I believe that whatever you're dealing with has to submit itself to the power that's in the name of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? Would you lift your hands right now? And would you call on the name of Jesus? Come on, call on his name. Depression has to flee. Anxiety has to flee. Call on the name above all names. When mercy, I said when mercy, when mercy and failure collide, there's power in the name of Jesus. If the musicians can get ready, I'm almost done. Anybody thankful for what you feel? You may be seated for just a moment. I believe that God is going to do great things tonight. Going back to our opening scripture. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 15, reading verse 35 again, it says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let me talk about Samuel for just a little bit. Samuel 
came into the world through a miraculous birth to a woman named Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Through faithfulness to the house of God, he rose to become a renowned prophet in the land of Israel. It said that none of his words fell to the ground. But despite his faithfulness to the house of God, despite his status as a prophet of God, he saw major failures from leadership and from his own family. Samuel was raised up in the house of God under Eli, whose two wicked sons lost the Ark of the Covenant in battle. Then Samuel's own sons, rather than being men of God, fell to their own lustful desires. I've heard it preached so many times that Israel was so carnal because they wanted a king like every other nation. And, and that's a good point, but, but I realized where they were getting their ideas from was they didn't trust the future of the leadership. And that's why they were asking for a king so that they could be like every other nation. It was the failure of Samuel's family that caused these people to start thinking about going after a king to be like all the other nations because they saw sin. And to meet the people's request, God brought forth a young man out of the tribe of Benjamin named Saul. The writer would describe him as being head and shoulders above every other man. A hopeful young man, a choice young man. He was the people's choice. He was God's choice. He was the prophet's choice. But he would end up being no better than Samuel's sons. The prophet tells this newly chosen king before an upcoming battle that he needs to wait for him to come and offer a sacrifice for the armies of God's people. But when Saul doesn't see Samuel just when he thought he would, and his men were scattering in every direction from the battlefield, he takes matters into his own hands and offers a sacrifice in place of the prophet, impatient and disobeys God. Later, God commands Saul through the prophet to utterly destroy the enemy of God's people that have plagued them for years. But instead of obeying God, he chose to keep all the things that he found pleasing to himself. And because of this, God finally rejects him as king of his people. But my focus tonight is not on Saul, but it's on this faithful man named Samuel who's weeping for the failures all around him as we all stand. As Samuel went through life, he continually faced the mistakes of others, the failures of others, the sins of others, yet he stayed true to God. Time after time he watched as another perfect situation came crashing and burning to the ground. Following the final rejection of Saul is where we find Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. And he's weeping for what he thought should have happened. He's weeping for the aftermath of broken dreams. Back to us tonight. We have come into this place. And many of our hopes may have been broken over the course of life. Whether through our own failures whether through the failures of someone else, the decisions that someone else has made, our own decisions. There's just a lot of stuff when we're trying to lead our own life that becomes a failure. But tonight I'm preaching when mercy and failure collide. People who we thought we could trust left us broken and now we're, we're just sitting back questioning everything. Rather than rejoicing in the Lord, rather than standing on the promise of God, 
we are sitting still in a pit of hopelessness. But as God spoke to Samuel, I believe he wants to speak a direct word into someone's broken situation. It's time to fill your horn with oil and go forward. You know why you're empty? Because you need more of God. You're not empty because everything should have worked out and it didn't. You're not empty because you just did the wrong thing and maybe it'll get better next time. You'll be lucky if there even is a next time. When mercy and failure collide, God tells us to fill our horn with oil and to move forward in the mercy of God. How many times have I seen someone fall away from God because they couldn't overcome failure? They couldn't overcome mistakes. They couldn't overcome things that they could do nothing about. Sorry, but you can't change the past. Sorry, but you can't control the future. But in this moment, the mercy of God is here to fill you and renew you and strengthen you. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's a perfect circumstance. There's something we can hope for. There's an ideal, a perfect situation. But when the best of plans fall apart, Jesus comes to reach our reality. You may have broken pieces, but there's a God that knows how to work with the broken pieces. There's a world that doesn't want to spend the time to deal with it, but there's a God that says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary, and I will give you rest. One of the greatest problems ever faced in living for God is when we struggle with the inability to overcome failures. We can't try to decide where mercy starts and where mercy ends. The Bible says he's covered everything. I said he's covered everything. I said he's covered everything with his blood. It's time to let go of painful memories and walk in the newness of life that God has given us. I've got one more thing and that's it. Chaplain Mickey Powell told me a story about a man in Kern Valley State Prison. This man had a love for God and he counseled with Brother Powell, but he couldn't break through to prayer into the Holy Ghost. He grew up seeing his father beat his mother at a young age and he was always there for his mom in the hard times. His sister twisted off in all kinds of things and his mother was broken hearted. His brother went crazy in life and his mother was also broken after that and he was the only one left that was always there for her. But now after several prison terms, he stopped receiving phone calls and he stopped receiving mail and he felt like his mom had turned her back on him. Despite all that he knew, despite all he could feel in the moment, he failed to realize that the damage that he had done and all the hurt that he had caused had made someone turn away from a source of pain. And when Brother Powell explained that to him, he saw it for what it was. And in the chapel office, this man fell to his knees. He cried out to God. He lifted his hands for forgiveness. And he was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. 
I'm done. God wants to speak to someone tonight. It's time. You can't cover up all the scars. You can't, you can't delete all your mistakes. You can't go back and undo all that stuff. But you can fill your heart with oil and go forward. There's a future for you that's better than your past. You will outlive your failures. You will outlive all your mistakes. I wonder if someone would come to this altar right now. I wonder if someone would come to this altar right now. There's a God with arms of love that wants to restore you, that wants to heal you, that wants to wrap up the broken pieces. Come on, this altar should be filled. This altar should be 